Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, it is, it's going great. You know, the cold weather's gone. It left me uh, with some kind of virus. I don't know if it's this coronavirus that's going around that's killing all these people in China. And right. now may landfall in the Moen household or what, but, uh, you know. Can it survive in negative 50 weather? I didn't think it could, but, you know, the negative 50 is gone. We're now close to close to zero uh, Celsius. So, okay, you know, maybe it could survive You're in that. You're spoiled, yeah. Yeah, I am, I am. How's the weather down there? It's hot. It's good. Rained a little Fuck bit. You. <laughs> I went to a beach for the weekend and it was oh like my God. overcast the whole time. Not any sun for for three days. Wow, that's terrible. It's yeah. terrible, man. You um, must have had to put on a parka. No, I'm actually excited to get back to cooler weather. It's too hot oh, yeah? for me. Like it's oh, hard okay. to even enjoy outside because it's so hot, right? Like, right. Uh, so I'm hoping to get back. I like the 20 degree Celsius uh, range, 18 to 21. You like that lukewarm. You're, you, you, yeah. you strike me as like a San Fran kind of guy, right? That would be the perfect. It's like 21 degrees there all year round, like one season. Yeah. So I was in, I was in Southern California, not San Francisco. I don't like it per, like specifically, but uh, other places were too nice, much doo doo on the street. Human doo doo. No, too like much. The human doo doo. Too many people with their heads up their asses. Like, yeah, well, it's a disconnect. It's disconnected from reality. Most of the people I met when I was there, right? Um, yeah, it is so weird. I should uh, learn to be more compassionate with them. I suppose. Uh, I don't know. What we what I'm trying to do a bad segue into our topic. Oh, right. right. Sorry, (laughs) I I dropped the ball there. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to talk talk again about nonviolent communication. And we were talking about this briefly before we started recording and I interrupted you so we could get it because I think it might be interesting because you had really been hoping that it would like be uh, an epiphany for me, right? Like it was it was a really impactful book for you. And for me, I read the second half now. And it was kind of, I, I do think it's quite good. I plan to reread it because I don't feel like I got as much out of it as I can, which is, I mean, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, verdict for any book if I actually want to reread it. Um, but for you, it was quite revelatory. So, um, and you had mentioned you're planning or you had gone through it again with your wife. So I'm interested to hear how, why it was so revelatory to you and, and yeah, and why it's so valuable. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to touch on, on the whole concept again, you know, to me, the, the idea of nonviolent communication is it's almost like a libertarian. It almost takes like a first principled kind of libertarian approach of don't initiate violence to communication, which obviously communication can't be physically violent. Right. And, and, you know, I kind of take, uh, take exception to the name nonviolent communication as if Mm. communication could be violent. That's kind of a a bone I pick with it. But at the same time, it's kind of like, how do how would you apply something like the non-aggression principle to your words? Like it does libertarian apply to more than just political philosophy or something. Is, is there something in it that um, we can take as individuals and apply in our own lives? And that's something that I take very seriously because I think that's where we can have the most impact really is in our own lives. And so the more we can 
can apply principles to our own lives to make our lives better. Uh, you know, I th- that's what really interests me. And so, you know, all when I started in the libertarian philosophy, you know, I was all about, well, how I, we got to form government and we got to legislate freedom. Right. Yeah. And then I realized, well, actually really it's, it's more like, what can I apply in my own life? Is there anything to take from this philosophy that I can apply? And so the first thing was peaceful parenting, like not initiating force against my kids. And mm. that worked wonderfully. Um, yeah. You know, but that there, there are these two kind of um, competing views of libertarianism, just as kind of an aside, there's thick libertarianism and thin libertarianism. And they often, these two camps collide as if there weren't enough camps in libertarianism. Uh, but, Thin libertarians are people that just say um, the non-aggression principle and property rights. That's all libertarianism is. Don't try to make it more than that. Don't try to apply it to all these other things. You will, you know, it's kind of a fool's errand. And at the end of the day, this is all that libertarianism is. Um, Thick libertarians are ones that think, well, is there a way to apply this? Can we apply libertarian thinking to all other different areas. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, uh, I like to think of myself more as a thin libertarian in that, yeah, I think that libertarian really only has to do with the non-aggression principle and uh, property rights. But I think there is some carryover to think, how can we apply libertarian principles? If we could apply libertarian principles to this situation, or at least first principles or rational principles, what yeah. would that look like, right? And so I took that in also into my uh, grad degree where I, I, I got a master's in leadership and in organizational consulting basically, basically. And, um, you know, again, like my, my thesis was on studying teams of self-organizing uh, fire teams. Okay. Now how, how, again, that was kind of inspired by my libertarianism, right. In like, cause, and, and also because I noticed like the worst performing fire teams seem to have these micromanager dictator bosses that ruled with like kind of intimidation and yelling and all, all these kinds of things. Right. There's never threats of force. So it's technically not, uh, but at, at, at the same time, you know, it, it seems to make sense that, that, so, so I was looking at, at that through the lens. And of course the teams that did the best had leaders that people voluntarily followed that they would have gone to war with. Right. Right. Uh, for like just follow these guys into battle. The leaders were servants. They were serving the needs. They didn't see themselves as like a top down dictator moving right. these pawns around or anything like that. Right. So have you ever th- seen this, there's a, there's a meme of like a boss versus a leader and it's like the chariot and one right. is the guy on the chariot telling them to go. And the other one is the, the leader is at the front of the line, pulling the chariot with everyone else. Right, right. And, you know, maybe in another podcast, we can actually talk about uh, leadership from a libertarian perspective or something like that. Because I mean, that was basically my, my grad thesis. And it's Mm -hmm. something I've written about and talked about quite a bit. Um, You know, I think there are some lessons to be gleaned. But I say all this just as a preamble to what why I think I was interested in this idea of nonviolent communication to begin with. And Marshall Rosenberg, you know, he has spoken at a number of uh, libertarian conferences and this book was going around a number of years ago. So I read it and man, it's probably one of the books that has most helped improve my life. Um, And, and so that was something for me. And, and the reason, you know, I was really hoping it would 
resonate or something with you was because it had that impact on me. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you probably learned a lot of the same lessons that I learned from that book already from, Mm -hmm. from other things. You might call them different names. You might have a slightly different way of conceiving of the ideas, but ultimately they kind of got you to the same place. Um, so I guess that, that, that was my, uh, I guess, introduction to it and my hope for it. And, and just because it has had such a huge payoff for me in my life in terms of my relationships, in terms of my own inner narrative and and thought process, even, um, you know, I want to spread the, (laughs) spread the gospel of this type of communication there. I mean, I have some bones to pick with it. I don't think it's perfect. I don't think, you know, I think he gets a few things wrong and I think there are, there's times to push back and even be aggressive, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of communicating. Um, but I, I do think that as a general process, there's really something there that can unleash, uh, you know, more flourishing in, in your life. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like I said, I think even though I've encountered aspects of it in various places, this packaging is quite good. Like I, it is a, it is a good book to capture a lot of what's important. And it's interesting because you can't like you read this after you were a libertarian and it really resonated with you and it showed how these principles sort of apply in other aspects. And my experience was the reverse. I was exposed to kind of, uh, you know, some of these principles first and applying them to try and change my own life. And then I saw that these naturally became libertarian principles when applied to my interactions with others. And I think the most important thing is forging that connection, right? Because I think so many of my peers and and young people in particular would be more bought into libertarianism and and this sort of thing if you could actually show that connection about how, how like living a good life in this mindful sense that like a lot of people scoff at, but a lot of my peers don't, right? And, and think that's really important, but they don't see how that extends. And, and so I think it's really interesting that right. you came from the libertarian perspective down, let's say, and I came from this perspective up to libertarianism. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, another thing is that, um, you know, quite often libertarians, objectivists, we're super rational people uh, when it comes to thinking about systems, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can examine a system and examine a government or a nation and examine a set of rules or laws and, and pick them apart and explain why they're wrong. Yeah. Uh, we have a harder time, I think, applying these principles to a, a, like applying principles and looking at our own selves rationally. Yeah. You know, I was talking with this, with my daughter the other day, um, she's, she's going through a practicum right now to be a paramedic. So she's basically interning under a preceptor and, you know, the guy she's working with is super smart, uh, mm-hmm. really intelligent guy. Right. And, um, he, he reminds me a lot of myself when I was a little bit younger, like, uh, you know, I like to think I was a fairly intelligent guy and I could see all the bullshit everywhere around me on the outside. Right. right? But the problem is I didn't have a bullshit detector for myself. Mm. And one of the things I noticed was like, even in how I show up as, as promoting libertarian philosophy, like I, I would just assume that I would give them a smart answer, the right answer, draw out the logical steps, how I got right. there and why their thinking is wrong. And they would just accept that. Right. right. And I, it, they never would. And I would just keep trying the same thing over and over and explaining right. why they're an idiot and why I'm right. And uh, I, I 
there was a blinders there, right? And the, yeah. the reason, like, I, I wasn't applying that same rationality to my own relationships, my communication right. style. What I was trying to accomplish in those conversations, I wasn't taking a rational approach. I was taking an approach that wasn't working. It wasn't yeah. working over and over again. It was repeatable. And yet I was still going down this rabbit hole. And so I think quite often as libertarians, we get stuck. We're very rational when it comes to the external world. Mm. But where the real power lies is when we can take that same rationality and that same principle driven approach and apply it to our own inner life. And I found that with me, once I was able to do that, that is when I started having far more impact in terms of everything I was doing, whether it was at work, whether it was in in terms of my political activism or leader of the party, um, my personal relationships, you know, all those things uh, improved dramatically when, when I, thought about first principles in terms of my own life rather than just everyone else's lives in the system around me that was all bullshit yeah and i think that's kind of what he gets into more so in the second half of the book is how to turn this framework of nonviolent communication inward and really listen to your own thoughts and be non-judgmental of your own thoughts which is yeah. really hard it's exceptionally yeah. hard um because you also don't only have your own voice in there right you have your parents voices probably you have like some societal voice or some representative of society in there and there's so many voices to try and yeah like distill them all distill them all out and really kind of understand even what the conversation in your head is yeah i mean we have this operating system uh it it wasn't put there by us you know this this was the big pivotal moment in my life in my probably my late 20s was realizing that my entire worldview everything i thought about the world was would be different if I was somewhere else. In right. other words, I didn't come to this operating system by myself. This was pretty much all put there by culture and it pretty much went unchallenged. I just accepted all these norms mm-hmm. and, and principles. And so the operating system or the narrative I had in my head, the story I told myself about the world um, was all... Philosophy. Yeah, someone else's, someone else had put that there. So I, you know, when I realized it was all that, you know, it was very disconcerting and difficult to rebuild that and reconstruct. Well, what do I think? Now, what do I do with all this? I know what not to do now. I know what not to think, but what do I think? Right. And trying to rebuild that is, uh, was difficult. It was emotionally difficult, uh, psychologically difficult. Yeah. So, um, and I do think that this framework, uh, in nonviolent communication is something that helps that. Right. The, the idea right. of be, that compassionate communication with yourself and with others really helps you start to build up again. Right. That was kind of the tip, the right. tipping point for me. Like I had tore everything out and I was empty and then I didn't know where to start. And it was compassion and being able to really calmly admit like I, I am empty. Right. Where do I go from here? And, and it was a framework to allow me to start rebuilding properly. Right. And even things like, um, you know, how you deal with your own emotions, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, quite often as, as men, we're told like to, to, we're told the story to keep our anger suppressed, right? Like keep it down, push it down. Like you shouldn't get angry. Like when we get angry, it's scary or something. Don't, don't be sad. Don't like, we we don't want to see a male having negative emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's them crying, whether it's them, uh, raging, whatever. And what, what, uh, you know, nonviolent communication taught me was 
to notice that um, any negative emotion we, uh, we have is uh, a symptom of an unmet need, right? Yeah. And so to pay attention to that, don't try to suppress it. Like notice it and try to figure out where is this coming from? Why is it that I feel this way? Why is there so much rage in me right now when this guy said this thing? Okay. And Mm -hmm. recognizing that it wasn't this troll on the internet that is making me rage right now. That would be to say he owns my emotions and I have no control. I have full control here. I own this. There's something going on. He triggered something. What is that something that he triggered? Why was there a tripwire there in my brain? And what need isn't being met right now? And that really, um, that just in and of itself is powerful, right? Because when I started reading this book, it was kind of like, well, what, how can I use this to manipulate others in a way? Right. Like, how can I use it as a tool to really be persuasive or communicate better or right. whatever? But what it really became was more about um, me uh, j- just discovering things about myself that I had no idea about. And that helps connect you to others and it helps you communicate far more effectively. Yeah, and as you say that, I think, about how even though maybe like the conscious convictions weren't triggered and switched in my mind, like it definitely has been a very good refresher of a lot of this. And like the, I, I've not actually practiced it at all yet. And the thought came right. up of practicing it. And it's like, no, that actually is terrifying to actually admit what I need to someone directly. Right. Cause that's right. just not the type of relationship that's common. Right. Um, to be so open and so kind of right. vulnerable, but well, it, it encourages you to do that. It is, and it is something that needs to be practiced, and and you get better at the more you do. And if you don't do it for a while, you slip back into old patterns, right? So it's something that kind of requires vigilance and discipline, almost. And um, you know, this is why my wife and I read the book again. You know, we we just found we were like having conflicts that weren't getting resolved. Um, and you know, we just were like, okay, we got to figure out how to, how to like communicate more effectively here. Um, and it helps when both people do it. And, and like Mm. your, your idea of like, I, I need to be vulnerable and express my need. Well, that doesn't always work, right? Like if, if you're, romantic partner is pissed off about something, if she's angry, if she's frustrated, she's not going to be able to hear, uh, the way you need her to hear to understand your need. So um, you might, if you want that her to help you meet your need, you're going to have to help her meet her need first. So you really have to lead the situation, figure out, okay, why am I triggered? Okay. Like what is the under unmet need in her right now that that's going on and really empathize with that feeling, really try to figure out what that unmet need is and try to help her meet it. And then at some point she'll almost a hundred percent be, at a point where she can help you with yours. Um, and you know, that can maybe feel unfair sometimes if you're the person that's always leading with this. Um, and so it helps to have a partner that is also familiar with this stuff. Cause right. you know, it kind of spreads the burden a little bit. You don't always have to be the one going first, but it gives you a tool and to, to use, right. And Marshall Rosenberg kind of has these cheesy, if you watch any of his YouTube videos, I recommend actually watching some YouTube videos. Have you done that yet? No, I've with, not watched any of stuff. Check, check out Marshall Rosenberg. Like he, he, you can watch some workshops where he helps people move from their current paradigm of talking and helps them move to another one. And, mm. you know, people in his workshops bring up all these difficult situations in their life and why 
like conflict they're having with someone that's important to them and Rosenberg helps them with. And, but, but the, the cheesy part is he uses uh, giraffe and jackal puppets, right? So if someone's speaking like a jackal violently or whatever, he holds up the jackal. And then when they speak like a giraffe, he holds up the giraffe. It's really cheesy, but it's really also effective, but it's something that um, my wife and I use quite often yeah. in our relationship now because now we have some language to put around this it's like okay are you are you do you feel like you can listen giraffe. like a giraffe right now yeah um and you know sometimes my wife will say that to me i'll be like okay i gotta you're right i need to figure out how to open up my heart here and understand yeah. that in order for me to get my needs met here i need to shift the way i'm thinking about this conversation in this conflict right now and that it works wonderful because it just it's like just a little cue to to recognize okay i'm trapped in this stupid operating system that is a remnant from some shitty things that have happened to me in the past and some narrative that was put there by other people yeah. i can shift out of that now and figure out how to connect our hearts and uh that's yeah. to me you know the, the, I guess the real benefit of this um, is it kind of gives us a framework that we can both operate from um, together. Yeah, I think it's really powerful. And, and the, the active listening and really being able to kind of draw out that that's what the second half focused on as well. It's right. Being able to kind of listen and hear the emotion, hear the unmet need, just recognize it and know, and it, it's even, you know, it can take 20 minutes before they're ready to actually talk. But like people yeah. need to be able to sort of vent is the wrong word, but essentially they need to be able to vent a bit. And it's just about helping draw that out. Right. Right. And I feel like most of my relationships, people don't have that ability. And that's what then I go to counseling for. It's just to have someone right. who can see me. Right. Who's, who's yep. just able. And that's what is like, especially when someone's in a depression or whatever, that's really all they're looking for is someone to validate their feelings are real right and yeah. not try and paint over it and stuff and it's it's the way he communicates it is quite powerful as well yeah absolutely yeah i mean i mean the story he tells i th think it's in his book or in one of his talks you know that really highlights the power of this is he was brought in to do some peace talks in uh in palestine or israel mm -hmm. i think in palestine but but this was right when um you know there had been a <clears throat> an Israeli attack on a Palestinian uh, refugee camp or something like that the day before. And, you know, he was driving past all these empty artillery shells and they, you know, were made in the USA kind of thing. He gets to this uh, thing and he's trying to broker peace between these two people who have been at war for centuries. And he gets up to speak and some Palestinian guys stands up and starts yelling at him, murder, murder, like just venomous things. Right. Of course, your initial response is to get defensive and uh, nonviolent communication teaches, okay, if you want to connect with this person, if you want to get anywhere in this conversation, you have to recognize his emotion. You have to recognize what unmet need is, isn't being met right now. And, and so Rosenberg just stood up there. He says, okay, you're, you're very angry right now. I can see you're tense. You're speaking loudly. You're, you know, making all these observations and you're, you're really angry. And I can imagine it have, must have something to do with these attacks over the weekend. Um, your need for security or safety isn't being met. Is that right? The guy's like, yes, I, my kids, I can't get them to school. He's like, oh, you're really angry. As a parent, we want 
our kids to be safe and blah, blah, blah. You, you, your kids can't get to school. Exactly. They can't get to school. And he, he goes on and on. And Rosenberg just keeps reflecting back to him, just noticing what he's feeling, observing and reflecting back exactly what he's seeing objectively and connecting that to what his unmet need must be that's causing those feelings to, to well up in this man. Yeah. And at a certain point, Rosenberg says he noticed the guy kind of relaxes and shifts, right? right? And you'll notice this quite often in conversations when the other person who's really upset feels Gets heard it all out. and, and yeah. it's like they understand they're connected. It's like they're, they're just longing for that connection, longing to be heard, longing for someone to understand they're doing it in a very tragic way that causes yeah. most people to push right back and fight right back. Right. But Ro- Rosenberg pulls them right out of that paradigm with this method and it works. And then, uh, you know, the guys like, uh, he's Rosenberg notices a shift and says, listen, I, uh, I'm feeling frustrated right now. Um, I have, I was invited here to speak to all these people. They haven't been able to hear me. I have a need to be heard and, and communicate with these people. Um, do you think you could help me meet my need and, and like let me communicate to these people? And the guy's like, Oh yes. Oh, of course. I'm so sorry. And he sits down and then afterwards, you know, they, they met up and you know, had a barbecue together and that they've been good friends ever since. But that that's the power of, of this stuff. You know, you can imagine, one way that goes is you just call security to escort the guy out. You push back right. and say, I'm not a, a murderer. Obviously I, I didn't shoot those shells. I'm here to broker peace. You idiot. Like, yeah. well, why are you coming here? Like that, that would have some kind of immediate payoff psychologically to most of us to be yeah. able to put that guy in his place because we're protecting ourselves. Right. So this takes a, a next level kind of, um, strength to do, I think, or, or, um, you know, it, so, so it, it, and you know, I've used these techniques on tense situations on, on, in my line of work on calls with psych patients or yeah. patients that are over, you know, on some, on meth or something like that, or patients that are, um, are just being belligerent and, and non-cooperative. It's like, okay, we got to stop. We got to notice yeah. their feelings, try to connect what their unmet need is try to, you know, help them meet their need in that moment. And then suddenly they become very cooperative and compliant and can get somewhere with them. But, you know, the police, if the police come in, that all goes to hell because they have this sledgehammer, things escalate, right? So it's a very good method of de-escalating. And, and, you know, some people might say, well, you're, you're just capitulating or you're giving them what they want, right? But at the end of the day, you're both getting what you want, right? You know, if your goal you know, if your goal with your wife is to have a healthy, happy relationship, it's to understand each other better. It's to like figure out what's going on here. Well, this is a perfect way of doing that. If your goal as a paramedic is to get compliance or cooperation so that you can solve this person's medical emergency, well, this moves you closer to that. Whereas just using force and hog tying a person doesn't, right? So- yeah, and I think, I mean, a bunch came to my mind uh, about the importance of this framework, basically. Two that are kind of related is that, you know, a lot of these young social justice people who, like, think free speech is bad and all of this stuff, a lot of them just really need love and a hug, right? Um, right what it comes right. down to is the narrative they've been sold is that communication is violent, that communication is a win-lose, right? right? It's a power dynamic. And this is mm-hmm. 
the exact opposite, right? It's not that at all. It's both people just trying to be heard or the, right? And so it's a good contrast, the nonviolent communication with what so many young people have been taught that communication is violent inherently. So maybe right. it reinforces that message by saying, well, well, this kind isn't, but I think it's important to note, no, but communication doesn't have to be. And I think, you know, of, you know, Dave Rubin getting shouted at and he kind of just kind of plays to them or ignores them. And okay, maybe he doesn't have 20 minutes to do this exercise, but that's essentially right. what's needed. Not just, you know, kind of, he doesn't goad them even, but he kind of just half ignores them. Whereas you want to try and draw it out. And I think bringing it back to, you know, the connection with libertarianism is you mentioned that uh, like this is objective. And I think like I view it as so important to really hit on that point. And he talks about objectivity a lot in the book. Right. And I really do think this is applying objectivity to emotions in a, in yeah. a real way and it, to a, it, like to a relationship. And that is, I feel, what's missing a lot in the conversations I hear in the objectivism and stuff. They don't talk right. about applying it to relationships, applying it to emotions, right? It's like emotions are valid and you should get them in line or you can get them in line with your rational thinking, but they don't talk about actually dealing with them. And I think this book does a very good job of, I mean, the best job I've come across actually in terms of talking about this sort of compassionate communication in an actual more scientific objective uh, viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, you, emotions are quite often viewed as, as like something to poo-poo, right? Something right. that is like we need to get just get rid of them or something like that. But to me, what emotions are, are that they're our body essentially telling us that there's some uh, about there's some unconscious operating system that that's going on in our brain that we haven't examined yet or something mm. like we, we and and you know we the, the amount of examination we can do will never end like there's always right. going to be some unconscious thing that we're unaware of and um you know that has been that, that that's been extremely helpful uh, for me to, to think of emotions that way. It's like, okay, this anger is a rational, my body's rational response to some unconscious narrative in my head that may or may not be irrational. Right. Yeah. And so when I was going through PTSD and I, I was like having all these feelings in my body and like tunnel vision and flashbacks and like all these sensations, all these negative things, that was a response to, an irrational narrative I had in my head, a narrative that had been put there by my, the culture around me largely and fed by me. And as soon as I realized what was causing those emotions, it wasn't the dead kids I saw. It was a story in my head about those dead kids. Right. But then that was an epiphany for me that, that helped me gain mental health. Right. And I think, yeah, this absolutely provides a framework to allow that right. for others and for yourself to really start. Right. And, and, and sorry, just that. And, and contrast this with what most people think of as mental health treatment, right? Which is okay. You're having these negative feelings. We have to deal with those symptoms. Here's some drugs that will tamp right. down those symptoms, right? So now we're taking away the emotions that are leading to self-discovery. 
And right. so to me, proper mental health is, okay, what are those emotions telling us? Like, let's get to the root of that rather than now I'm not saying I'm not totally against using drugs or antidepressants or these kinds right. of things. Sometimes like we have to deal with that. You know, if, if we have a, a root, can, need to do a root canal, you know, sometimes we need some pain management to get to the dentist drill, but we mm -hmm. need to think about how we're getting to the root of the problem and yeah. just taking a drug to me, isn't getting to the root of the problem. It's just managing symptoms temporarily so that we can get to the root of the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I think fundamentally, it's that a lot of people feel just disconnected from themselves and from each other. And where that disconnect really happens is with their emotions, right? Um, yeah. They all think they know what's right. They all think they know, like, very few people go out and really think they have no idea what they're doing. It's then they become depressed is when they realize, oh, I've thought I've not known for a long time. But it, the disconnect is just that people can't feel with one another or with themselves. And, and I think this book provides a good blueprint, at least, that can lead to being able to, to be more connected with, with life, essentially. Yeah, no, you're uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and I think, you know, there's, it, it has its limits. Although I think you could probably apply this to almost any situation. I mean, even mm -hmm. if you're getting mugged or something like that, I could see some power in how you can turn that situation uh, around. But, you know, I think there are some situations where there's someone who genuinely has nefarious intent towards you. Uh, yeah. There's no point in being vulnerable to a person like that or exposing your inner world so that they can use it against you. Right. Well, it uh, might but, need to more try and understand theirs. Right. Or right. Exactly. Yeah. Passion. This per like there is there, but there are limits, right. You need to have self-preservation and, and exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and I think sometimes, you know, especially in a, in a crowded place, like where you're speaking in front of a crowd and someone's being a dick, or interrupting or doing that kind of thing. There's a time and a place like yeah. you can't, you've got a lot of good you can do if you can get your message out. If that person's going to take up all your time and just, you know, has no good intentions here at all, like get security to remove them. Like there's no obligation to right. try to connect with people who are not showing any indication that they want to connect with you at all. Right. Uh, so to me, this is really most powerful in, um, well, it's powerful in crisis situations where you're there to help someone. It's powerful in personal relationships. It's powerful at work or in any situation really where you're triggered and you're feeling angry or you're feeling frustrated or just sad or whatever. It's, it's a tool you can use to start to manage that situation from the inside out, so to speak. Well, I appreciate you sharing this tool with me. I, I do look forward to reading the book again in the next month or two. Yeah. I mean, if you, uh, you know, I recommend going through it with uh, a romantic partner in the future, revisiting it. That to me is yeah, where it really had the most power. It. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do that. <laughs> Maybe this will help you find one. Maybe. Ooh, I sense you're, uh, you're, you're angry right now. Uh, is it because you have a need for me to be a social justice warrior? Is that? No. Anyways. All right. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David.